The game of golf is all about adapting to the challenges that come your way. Adapting to a weird lie, a bad bounce, the rub of the green. It's also about adapting to the weather conditions, the cold, the wind, the rain, the hot summers. Golf has played over five continents, through 208 countries, and on many different types of grass and sand. In each of these places, the land and weather can determine a lot about a particular golf course. On the dusty, windswept plains of America's heartland, grass greens were hard to come by in the early part of the century. It was difficult and expensive to grow grass greens in that dry climate, so they adapted. They used sand greens instead. It's a strange thing aiming for something you're normally trying to miss. This is Beyond the Green. I'm Eric Cooper. Sand greens were commonplace early on in the 20th century. They were usually found in places where water was a scarce commodity, places like Kansas, Nebraska, and Colorado. But you could find them elsewhere. Pinehurst's famous number two had sand greens until 1935. It was an ideal place for sand greens at the time, seeing as most of their play was in the winter, where there was very little growth for grass. Three of Texas's first four courses to open in the state started with sand greens. Parts of Canada, Australia, and the American South have all had sand greens at one time or another. Sand greens were great for expanding the game of golf to regions that couldn't afford the maintenance costs that would come along with grass greens. Small towns could build a decent course with very little money, usually collected from the residents in the area. Once the course was finished, the towns would only need a single mower to maintain the fairways, usually mowed down once a week. Standing on the first tee, most holes resemble any other course, but once you're out on the fairway, ready to hit your approach shot into the brown circle that's taken the place of the green, the strategy changes completely. Sand greens are surprisingly small. Only about a 30 to 40 foot diameter circle with sand about 2 inches to 3 inches deep. The hole is always in the center, so no putt is longer than 20 feet. There are no contours to sand greens, mirroring the flatness of the Midwest Plains. Sand greens don't require heavy maintenance. Originally using motor oil, now soybean oil, mixing three to four gallons into the sand once or twice a year keeps the sand from blowing away and rolling firm. And there lies the difference between sand greens and grass greens. Moisture slows down grass greens, while on sand, moisture speeds them up. Sand greens can be tough to play though, if you're not used to aiming for sand. Coming in too high can bounce your ball 50 yards past the green, so hitting a full iron may not be ideal. Aiming for the front of the green and letting the ball roll up might seem easier, but with the uneven bounces and small greens, the chances of getting close to the hole can vary. Laying up and pitching the ball onto the green works best, coming in at a slower speed and lower angle. The sand provides a natural check so the ball doesn't roll too far. This allows for true pin seeking, without the worry of skipping 20 feet past the hole. 
Once you're on the green, putting is a completely different process than when you're on traditional grass greens. The person whose ball is farthest from the hole will use what's called a drag, which is a large lead pipe that's been welded to another piece of metal for the handle, making a T-shape, to roll a smooth path about a yard wide to the hole from their ball. There is an art to the roll, and sand green players have perfected it. The slower you roll, the faster the putt. You also want to pull the drag at a steady pace, so the speed of your putt will remain consistent. The playing partners will usually use a string that is attached to the base of the flagstick to measure out how far their balls are to the hole. Then bring the rope over to the smooth path and mark their balls at the same distance. Since there isn't that much break on the sand greens, and are normally slower than grass greens, one putts can be common. Once everyone is done putting, one player will rake the green in spiral circles fanning out from the hole for the following group. Golf is always evolving. Niblicks became wedges, persimmons to metal woods, and sand greens were no different. In the 1930s, a new strain of heat-resistant, aridity-tolerant grasses were developed and started to replace these sand greens. With the improved technology and sprinkler systems in the 1950s and 60s, and growing environmental concerns of oil seeping into the ground, there was another big push for courses to switch to grass greens. As more and more golfers wanted to play on beautiful lush green grass instead of brown dirt, the sand greens began to disappear. The current number of sand green courses are unknown in the states, mainly because the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America doesn't separate them from the master list of about 15,000 courses in the country. The educated guests would land around 100 sand green courses nationwide. One country where sand greens are not disappearing, and in fact are flourishing, is Australia. Throughout the rural areas of Australia lay close to 400 courses that use sand greens. There isn't much written history on sand greens in America. If there were, it would probably be found in some farmhouse attic somewhere. All we really know is motor oil, sometimes mixed with diesel fuel, was originally sprayed on the sand to stabilize it. It has been replaced with different types of vegetable oil, but that can attract rodents at times. If sand greens were more prevalent, it could encourage more research to find a good substitute that could smooth the greens without hurting the environment. Sand greens didn't die off too recently to be forgotten, though. Hale Irwin grew up playing on sand greens in Kansas, while Vijay Singh putted on sand as a club pro in Malaysia. Professional players of these sand greens can still be found, too. Ken Lanning from Rolla, Missouri was one of the best sand green players in the country. Known as the King of Sand, Lanning won more than 250 sand green tournaments, including 10 state titles. He said sand greens were a poor man's green. Only the big city courses had grass in Missouri. He played in the surrounding towns like Clinton, Poplar Bluff, and Sykeston. He said they would have to take their lunches with them seeing as there weren't any restaurants near the courses. You'd go to your car and eat. No air conditioning. You'd get absolutely filthy. You'd have oil lines on your pants and dust on your shoes. You couldn't wait to get home and shower. 
Lanning believed sand greens died off not for environmental reasons, but for social and economic reasons. In the 50s, government guarantees made it feasible for banks to lend money to small town courses. As the middle class grew and pursued the country club ideal, sand greens were replaced with grass. One state has embraced the sand greens. The dusty, windswept plains of Kansas prides itself for having more than any other state sitting around 20. In a place that is known for fields upon fields of wheat, large sweeping tornadoes, and its occasional droughts, it makes sense that sand greens have survived here. A lot of small farm towns keep a nine-hole course available to their residents, charging around $5 for all you can play, usually dropped through a slot in an honesty box, or allowing memberships averaging $50 a year. The sand green courses have very little to maintain. Residents usually take turns mowing the fairways, it has become a community gathering place known for camaraderie and competition. Within Kansas's borders lives an exclusive band of students that have their own high school golf division for Sand Greens and has the only high school Sand Green championship in the country. But that division keeps shrinking over time. As the population in rural Kansas grows smaller due to the family farms giving way to the vast commodity agriculture system that is less and less used for living, breathing farmers, so does the amount of students going to school in the area. In the 2019 season, there were only 33 students in the sand division coming from the surrounding nine schools. The kids grow up and leave for college or the big city and get good jobs. There's rarely any work to bring them back, so the towns grow smaller Courses are abandoned, plowed over, used for crops, or just left to the elements, consumed by fescue and blue wild indigo. It was a type of green that used to reign supreme in the heartland. You could find at least one or two sand green courses in every small town across those states. But as these small towns die off, so do these greens, slowly being lost to time fading from our history, becoming dust in the wind. This episode of Beyond the Green was written by me, Eric Cooper. Music credits are in the show notes. Until next time.